You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. No one has ever made an impact by standing on the sidelines, whimpering, complaining, or protesting without taking action. We make progress by implementing our ideas. Pharmacists must take action. This is Polititalk Rx, the highly charged, sometimes controversial, political internet radio talk show dedicated to the profession of pharmacy. The policies that shape our healthcare system are complex and pharmacists, pharmacy professionals, and industry stakeholders must have a seat at the table to participate in conversations, discussions, and debates, which lead to actions that drive change supporting the profession of pharmacy. This podcast is intended to shake up the status quo and promote change to promote the profession of pharmacy while advocating for better patient care delivered by pharmacists. Polititalk Rx is part of the U.S. healthcare system's largest and most influential network of podcasts dedicated to our profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today's Pharmacy Podcast, Polititalk Rx, is brought to you by TheraWorks Relief. It's not just another leg cramp remedy. Unlike other muscle cramp remedies, TheraWorks Relief fast-absorbing foam has been scientifically proven to prevent muscle cramps with daily use. Plus, TheraWorks Relief topical formulation is locally acting, so it only affects the area where it is applied. Find more information and products at theraworksrelief.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-W-O-R-X relief.com. And uh, I just wanted to put a disclaimer out there for everybody. When you come on the show, you're speaking for yourself, your opinion. So hello, hello. Welcome back to our third show for the Polititalk Rx on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I am here with, I call him the man. He hates when I say that. Um, but Scott Knorr from Cleveland Clinic. He is the chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic, and he has given us the honor of his time today. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today on Polititalk Rx. Scott, thanks so much for having me. Scott, you, well, we, 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 uh, let's talk a little bit about how we got connected. Uh, basically, if... Well, this whole, Scott, this whole Scott, Scott thing can be confusing for our audience. It is, it is. I, I think I have more of the feminine voice, so I think everybody would be okay with that. Um, but I, I, I think we should talk a little bit about how we met, because... A, for everybody out there who um, doesn't know what LinkedIn is, um, yeah, if you're that guy, um, you're, you should be a little bit ashamed of yourself. Uh, but LinkedIn, we were on LinkedIn, and I saw Scott posting about PBMs. And I was like, this is awesome, you know, because somebody is out there trying to communicate the actuality, reality of what's going on out there, and, and not just complaining, not just um, you know, um, ben- you know, um, uh, talking about the benefits, but really educating. And I want to say Cleveland Clinic, if you don't know already about the global brand that Cleveland Clinic is, Cleveland Clinic is amazing. And so for somebody in your statute to uh, be able to disseminate that education and, and, and your views on it, I thought it was an amazing opportunity to reach out. And, um, and then I saw you in the Keys. So tell, tell, tell the uh, listeners a little bit about the trip to the Keys, because I think we have a little bit of a different build when it comes to our pharmacy CEs down in uh, the Keys. So tell us a little bit about the Keys, Scott. Absolutely, Scott. Well, you know, the Cleveland Clinic, we've got most of our footprints here in Northeast Ohio. We have our main campus, you know, which is 
I don't know, 1,700 beds, has the highest case mix index in the country. But most of our presence here, we have 11, I think 11, we keep buying hospitals, other hospitals within an hour or two hours of Cleveland. Also, we've got a presence in Florida. So we have the hospital in Weston, Florida. And uh, if things go right uh, with the FTC and all, um, we will be adding four more hospitals down uh, in Florida January 1st. So with that presence, and then we've got the international presence as well, um, uh, we've got, uh, I've got a connection with Florida, our uh, pharmacy director, Bill, our former pharmacy director, who's now the COO at Cleveland Clinic Weston, Ozzie Delgado are down there, and uh, they uh, asked, uh, you know, if I want to come down and speak at their conference in the Keys. I think the Southeast Florida Society of Health System Pharmacists by far has the coolest CE in the world. Not only do they have CE in the Keys, they also have CE at sea. But they do an annual cruise for CE. So I'm thinking when you're from cold, wintry Ohio, Florida is the place to go for CE. Yeah, and we welcome everybody. So we want to just you know put that out there that we definitely welcome you. Um, and we would love to have you join us, especially in the policymaking and push in our profession. Uh, we definitely are an all-inclusive. Um, so I appreciate that. I, I think um, you just got back from the Middle East. Was that your trip? Dubai? Uh, boy, so far, I don't know if I'm coming or going. But most recently, <laughs> I was in uh, Vegas for a visit in meeting but i am going um i'm going back to florida in next week and then i'm going to abu dhabi in the middle of november we have a internationally we have an executive health uh, clinic in toronto ontario canada we have a, a fantastic hospital in abu dhabi uae that's been open i think about two years and we're building one directly across the street from buckingham palace in london england uh, that one's not going to be ready until the first quarter of 2021. Well, since we have the same name, do you think they'll let me take your place on some of these trips? Because I, I, it sounds phenomenal. Very possible. I assume <laughs> your passport's up to date. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to jump into some of the things that you actually spoke about down in the Keys when I uh, actually got to shake the hand and, and uh, trade our cards there. Um, you were discussing a lot about the advancements of Cleveland Clinic and uh, basically the... Um, telecommunication, telepharmacy, and how the advancements there are helping you connect with patients and the consumer. And for me, my background in marketing and, and pharmacy, that mixture really makes me see the services from a consumer's point of view. And sometimes I look from the big picture down to the small focus. Um, so could you just talk about the advancements there in the telecommunication, telepharmacy aspect? Absolutely. And they're real, really, Scott, they're related to our, uh, our focus on uh, population health management. So, you know, we've got limited resources and how do we uh, reach as many patients as we possibly can? And we're looking at doing that across the enterprise at Cleveland Clinic, but my job is to look at that for pharmacy in particular. So we've got a lot of different stuff going on uh, at the Cleveland Clinic and we've had a EICU, which isn't pharmacy. So our, our physicians uh, at monitor hospitals that are remote uh, in-state, out-of-state, uh, from a central command bunker, and that's been going extremely well. You know, there are monitors and video and, and all that in the rooms at the remote locations. So that's been going fantastic. Uh, and then we've partnered, we've actually partnered with American Well, but we branded that as Cleveland Clinic Express Care, and that's app-based technology on your smartphone where patients can uh, dial up and, and have an appointment with a physician. 
So that's been going uh, for quite a while. And now pharmacy uh, is involved and pharmacists will have uh, uh, consults with patients uh, online through that, through that app-based dial-up. Now, right now, not yet. A, pharma a patient can't yet request a pharmacist through that application. They have to uh, go through their physician and get a consult, but we are doing follow-up with patients. Our goal is to have that so uh, patients can directly access their pharmacist. Now, would that specific issue be related to policies or legislation, or how does that work? Well, you know, you got it's a lot of stuff to figure out, uh, all of it, including uh, billing and infrastructure and all that. And uh, we wanted to get it going with uh, physicians. Our pharmacists have all been trained. They're doing the consults, but getting it integrated into the app is sort of uh, phase two. So it's on the way, but, you know, you got to get started and then keep uh, improving the process. No, absolutely. Proof of concept. We all know that's number one, especially in practice of healthcare. And um, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, the reason I did ask about the legislation, I know I've been uh, bugging you a little bit and talking to you a little bit about the legislation is um, here in Florida, we specifically had a bill uh, that was to allow teledispensing for remote dispensing specifically. In, um, and, and I know that there was, you know, a, a fear of loss of jobs in some manner, and I understand that, and how close these um, pharmacies were to specific uh, other pharmacies, you know, because the idea was urban um, uh, or rural areas, excuse me. And, um, and so I guess my, my question to you is, um, you know, how is Cleveland Clinic working on policy to ensure that these kind of technologies will take off, but uh, still allow for that pharmacist to be that clinician in the background. Yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, nothing new. You know, there, there's been this technology for probably a decade. Um, I'm making numbers up there, uh, you know, in multiple states. And I think Kansas uh, was one of the first ones to really allow this. Of course, Kansas is a very rural state and there aren't pharmacies everywhere. And I, I don't know the, the details of that. Uh, we do have some remote dispensing here. And uh, I've got 20 pharmacies across the Cleveland And uh, one of the well, it's not a problem. It's, it's a good thing, but we, we have a self-insured health plan. So me, my kids and my wife and all the, all the employees here, you know, get, get our prescriptions filled through the Cleveland Clinic pharmacies. And what that is causing a couple of our busiest pharmacies, which are here on the main campus, is that so many employees were getting their refills that we had a hard time getting patients who weren't employees. They had long wait lines and all. So we have some remote uh, dispensing technology that we work with the Board of Pharmacy here so that uh, especially refills, uh, folks can pick them up from these kiosks, which are very near our two busiest pharmacies. Uh, and you can get first doses there. I love it because um, they know to put it in. It's, it's on the way to my parking space, my parking garage. They send me a text, tell me it's there. I can stick my credit card in for the copay. And um, there's the option to be educated. I don't generally need that, uh, um, uh, being a pharmacist. Um, but uh, so I think the technology is fantastic to help us reach patients. It's got to be used appropriately, so there's still uh, contact. But you mentioned advocacy, and that's a huge thing, Scott. I know it's something you're passionate about. And, uh, you know, we, I have been fortunate in that the clinic has supported my advocacy efforts, um, you know, related to things like collaborative practice in Ohio, and even more so on, on, on advocacy for drug price, against drug price increases. Um, I was hoping that we could actually jump into that subject. Um, 
specifically around the drug prices. And first of all, I mean, we've seen this uh, administration specifically uh, discuss the importance of you know, lowering drug prices. I don't necessarily know if the approach has been appropriate, but I do know that they they do know it's an issue and it's something that is causing our um, taxes to rise, you know, patients to be more sick and so on. Um, I wanted to discuss a little bit about the PBMs and what your thoughts were. Again, that's where I saw you uh, educating and so forth, um, you know, and, and through some different articles and posts. Could you describe a little bit your views and, um, and whether or not they're an institutional uh, views or specifically yours, but please just describe, you know, a little bit about uh, your opinion on those uh, PBMs. Yeah, the views here are, are mine. I think a lot of those align with um, most healthcare organizations. But uh, frankly, Scott, the increase in drug prices you know, compared to inflation, it's, it's unsustainable. Uh, drug uh, prices are going up. Uh, brand name drug prices on an average of uh, 10% a year. And that's, you know, since the Great Recession, the consumer price index has been hovering around 1%. It's kind of gone up over the last year and, you know, inflation starting to pick up and interest rates are going up. But if you look at uh, every seven years of a 10% increase, uh, a price doubles, you know, and drug prices for brand name drugs between 2008 and I think 2017, around there, don't quote me on that, uh, brand name drug prices tripled. I don't know about you, Scott, or, or your family and friends, but through the Great Recession, uh, how many people's salaries tripled? Okay, not many. Maybe some people got their dream job and became a CEO and they used to work in the mailroom, but most people didn't, you know, so that, that's what we're dealing with with drug costs. So, you know, before the last election, I was kind of excited because all the candidates were talking about drug prices, right? I mean, Bernie Sanders was, Hillary Clinton was, and Trump was. Uh, once um, the, the current president got elected, didn't hear about it for a while, and I, I guess I was, um, and some of the proposals didn't seem like they were really going after things. If you would ask me this two weeks ago, I would have been relatively frustrated. However, in the last two weeks, some pretty significant things have happened. Um, there was a bipartisan bill, now I believe Trump signed it into law, on uh, eliminating gag clauses. The two biggest problems with uh, drug price increases are uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers uh, charging more than is reasonable, I would say, or than is sustainable. Uh, and there's, you know, the new drugs. We thought Savaldi was expensive at $80,000, but that actually cured hepatitis. It was expensive, you know, but now we've got CAR-T that's $450,000. Now, it cures cancer, but how much of that can you afford? So the two uh, organizations, I guess, industries are PBMs, and we are ground zero for PBM shenanigans for exposing that. There's been an expose in the Columbus Dispatch that really pointed out how much money uh, PBMs actually keep through spread. And I know you're a pharmacist and probably most of our, most our, our listeners are, but spread is the difference between what the PBM collects for drugs and what they pay the pharmacies. Do you know how much money just for Ohio Medicaid in spread PBMs made in 2017, Scott? I don't know. You're probably not up on that number. I am not actually on that number, but I would, I think, all of us would love to hear it. $220 million. I'll repeat that, $220 million. That's money they took in and they paid less, that much less to pharmacies. Now we've had, I believe, something like 150 
Uh, independent pharmacies closed in the last three or five years in Ohio, uh, partly because of this. Um, you know, and you don't get a pick. There are only three big, it's an oligopoly, three big PBMs that control the vast majority of the business. And you don't, as an independent pharmacist, you don't get a red line contract and send it back and forth to your lawyers. You either take it or you you leave it, the contract. And if you leave it, you can't fill you know, prescriptions for a third of your patients. So back to that $220 million, that's just on spread in Ohio. So, you know, there's some bigger states, there's some smaller states, but take $220 million times 50, that's just Medicaid, then there's all the private insurance plans and Medicare, and it's, it's mind-boggling the billions and billions of dollars that are siphoned off of the healthcare system really for middlemen that provide, I would argue, very little value. The PBMs would argue with me, um, you know, you, you have to have your prescription adjudicated. You know, you hand them your prescription card. They, they run that through the switch and, you know, but that doesn't, isn't really worth much. Um, so the, the, it's just, it's staggering. And then you got rebates, DIR fees, okay. PBMs, after we dispense pharmacies products, especially specialty pharmacy skills, uh, they, I would use the word, it's not actually accurate, but they steal back, they claw back uh, DIR fees for us, which are supposed to be quality measures. There's no connection to, to quality that a pharmacy control. Uh, last year, well, this year we're on track to have $4 million. That's money after we get paid by the PBM that they take back from our pharmacies just here at the Cleveland Clinic. So it's really, really a big problem. So anyway, um, world peace and world hunger. Uh, we have drug inflation, expensive new products on the pharmaceutical manufacturer side. We have middlemen sucking the life out of the healthcare system on the PBM side. Um, and, but the, the, there's federal legislation banning gag clauses. That's where you're the pharmacist. I come in, I say, hey, I need to fill this prescription. And you couldn't tell the patient that, hey, if you pay for that in cash, it costs $3. If you run it through on your insurance card, they're gonna charge you $90. So there was a gag clause, you couldn't say that. So that federal law eliminated the gag clause. It won't solve drug price increases for PBMs, but it'll certainly it's one step in the right direction. And then just yesterday, Alex Azar, the, uh, uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, announced that um, they are going to require uh, manufacturers to list the price of a course of therapy uh, in direct consumer advertising in commercials. So I think that's great. Now, personally, I would like to ban direct consumer advertising. It uh, causes overutilization that's not appropriate, you know, and, and uh, pharma will argue against that. They will say that, um, it's a First Amendment right. Well, it's only been legal in the United States since 1999. Um, there are only two countries in the world that allow DTC advertising, us in New Zealand, and guess what? Us in New Zealand use more brand name products per capita than other countries. So uh, requiring the prices is great because there's a toenail fungus that's advertising, toenail fungus medication. I doubt patients know it costs $20,000 for a course of therapy. So I think um, you know it's very gonna be very powerful what I was concerned about is the administration would not have the actual full cost of therapy. Uh, a lot of times they're trying to say, and what I hear uh, is that they want to reduce the, what a patient pays at the counter. And that's while that's important to the patient, what really costs is the total cost to society, the amount to, you know, the insurance company, because that, that's paid for by employers, it's paid for by taxpayers through Medicaid. So anyway, two very positive things. The, um, the requiring DTC advertising on the pharma side, they're adamantly opposed to it. 
and the gag clauses. So if you would ask me two weeks ago, there's been nothing that's been done on the federal level. Now we've got something addressing PBMs and addressing um, uh, something with pharma. Again, not going to solve the problem, but a baby step. I'll take it. And and that's the thing, too, is that a lot of people, um, they see these small steps and they're like, that's it. That's what you guys been fighting for. Um, and, and it's the people from the outside of the bubble type of thing. Um, cause there are those volunteers, people on the ground, people that read bills, people that read the policies hand in hand and know that this is a big step in the right direction because at one pharmacy is getting noticed, right? Like these issues are on the surface and they're not going away. Uh, and they run very deep. And, and I think what you said there is the insurer, the insurer that that's one of the things that we don't talk about ever as well as transparency of the insurer. You know, what are the profits? What are the increases? And that's another piece of this puzzle. Let me ask you in playing devil's advocate here with the gag ruling. So I've, I actually saw a pharmacist recently post and say, yeah, but how many pharmacists were actually um, you know, be feeling the barrier of not being able to save the cash price to their patient. And, and then also, um, the, I guess, you know, the, the idea is how many pharmacists do are out there that actually would, you know, actively try to save each patient. And I think there's many out there. Um, so that question could be kind of nulled, but the idea of how much does this actually create a, a positive step in regards to saving patients money? Was, was this a huge problem out there or was it just something in the right direction? I just wanted to get your take on that. That was a question that I had on social media. Wait, great question, Scott. And, um, it's, again, it's, it's a small step. You got to start somewhere. Uh, I, this does impact patients. Um, now one of the problems is with this law, it, it says the pharmacist can tell them, it doesn't say they're required to tell them. I would always like to make things stronger. Uh, I'm sure it happens, you know, on, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, now, my guess, Scott, you know, pharmacist to pharmacist, is that some pharmacists probably told patients anyway because uh, that's the kind of, you know, people that, that we are trying to reduce costs. So this, this isn't going to solve world peace and world hunger, um, but it, it is a real issue that does impact patients and it, it's a beginning. I'd say, Scott, in Florida, you know, it's similar to your collaborative practice efforts. I've worked with, uh, with our Cleveland Clinic pharmacy team down there and uh, Bill Kernan, give a shout out to Bill. He's, He's the uh, incoming amazing. president of, Epi of Florida Society of Health System Pharmacists, the president-elect, um, and Kathy Baldwin, who is a fantastic patient My advocate. My pharmacy mother. Uh, is a yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, but, but she's incredible. She's she's passionate, and she she's a past president at FSHP, and she's agreed to stay on as they as they try to collaborate to get collaborative practice passed in in Ohio. I'll tell you from our experiences, we failed multiple years to improve it, and then we finally got it done. So you know, you guys are you're making progress. You got further than you did last year. It's kind of like you got to start somewhere and don't give up. So you know, I think the the gag clause thing again, it is a it's a baby step but it's a step in the right direction. Well, I, I think what you said there is you got to have something first, you know, and it's kind of like that one step before the other. A lot of people, when they go into policy, they think that you need to go all in or not at all. And I've heard that many times. I've always said proof of concept, like we first started talking about, let us prove to you that one thing can work so that we could get two. And I know that sometimes that, that we need some things expedited, but I think that if we can collectively understand that that's the process, that's what we're up against, let's all start to strategize how to make one step before the other. Um, so going back to the, yeah, go so just going back to pharma. So obviously, you know, we need pharmaceutical manufacturers. So I am not anti-pharma. I'm anti-egregious 
price increases. You know, without drugs, we couldn't cure patients. And there's been such amazing things that, that come out. Again, uh, Savaldi, who would have thought you could cure hepatitis, you know. And these CAR-T, well, it can be toxic, and some patients don't, uh, don't tolerate it or live. Uh, for the patients, it does. I mean, it, it actually cures them. So it's incredible, but we just cannot. It's, it's not just Scott saying that. It's unsustainable. We cannot have this percentage increase in, in, in uh, pharmaceuticals year over year, or the whole system of healthcare will collapse. Well, and, you know, we see that, especially where you're at, too, um, the, you know, the opioid, you know, um, like the naloxone, Narcan, um, your antagonist, you know, the these things are put into policies in states, and a lot of it is very high-priced. And, you know, we're, I guess I'm looking back many years at to when drugs were catered to public health and there was royalties from the FDA and so forth like that. So, you know, we, we see it in all areas that there's profits to be made. Now, you're absolutely right. We can't go around, and even in that subject, blaming all manufacturers and saying that big pharma is the evil because a lot of the money that we're seeing is for research. It is for the, the you know, the networking to those clinicians because that stuff is not cheap. And to get an old dog to do new tricks is not easy at, at, all, at all either. Um, I'm glad to see more pharmacists becoming part of the um, or, you know, the industry and being out there to educate, because I think that now we have a friend in the, in the game there as well. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And, uh, and I really do appreciate that. I wanted to go back a little bit to drug pricing real quick before we get off. Um, and, and, and say what at your end, other than PBMs and, and addressing this and, and other than what we've already discussed, what are your thoughts on the administration uh, statement about charging other countries more, um, and, and things like that? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. And you know what? I mean, in my core, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a free market guy, and, and um, but, you know, it's not working, right? So, uh, I mean, that's, that, that's a problem. I would like for supply and demand to, to fix all the problems, but it, but it hasn't functioned. It's, it's broken. Um, uh, I'm sorry, what was the question, Scott? Well, what would be your solution, other than the PBMs and what we've discussed, to lowering the drug prices? Sorry. Oh, oh you, and the question was on other countries, right, related to that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. We, we, subsidized, we subsidized the whole world. So uh, back now, I haven't researched this for a couple of years, but Savaldi, when that came out, it was, you know, I found the prices in different countries, and it varied dramatically, but it was $80,000 for a course of therapy here and 900 in Egypt, $900 versus 80000 You know, so you could go, go uh, take the vacation and tour the pyramids, ride a camel, get your Savaldi and still save tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, now, the United Kingdom... Um, Sounds like has, a commercial. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, right, right? But the UK uh, has decided they have... Are you familiar with NICE? And, boy, I should know right off the hand what that stands for, National Institute of something, something. But basically, they look at the cost effectiveness of therapy. So you have to say what is, you know, so like some of these new oncology uh, medications, they may extend your life for two months, but they cost another $300,000. What is a quality, quality adjusted life you're worth? Because, right. you know, if it's your kid or your mom, you know, it's, it's probably worth a lot. But how do you put a dollar on that societally? And I would say that um, um, in the UK, now don't quote me on this, but I believe they said a, a quality, a quality adjusted life year, so it extends your year with a quality life for a year is worth 100,000 pounds. That, that number may not be exactly accurate. The, the point is they put a number on it and they won't pay for new therapies that cost more than what they put uh, a quality on. And I think that, you know, and here 
Uh, we got ICER, again an acronym, I can't remember the exact definition, but it's the same thing where they do cost comparative literature. Uh, and I think using ICER data would be very helpful. Now, you know, I, I talk bad about PBMs. Now again, uh, I think PBMs have, have uh, morphed into something that is non-transparent and really, really uh, uh, far exceeds their value, what they're taking out of the system. But they do some, some important things. And one of the things, I'm not going to mention any names of companies, but uh, one of them recently said they were going to use ICER data and that they would not put drugs on formula without ICER data. Now that, I think, is brilliant. I would love to see that move forward. In order to control costs, we're going to have to do that, things well, like that. I agree, and, and, and as much as it may not sound and sit well with people, um, and there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of going back and forth on that, I think it needs to be a variable in the discussion, and it hasn't been present. So I definitely appreciate that. Uh, Scott, I wanted to say... I truly, truly, truly appreciate you coming on the show today. I truly appreciate you working with us. Uh, I look forward to our working relationship, our personal relationship. I look forward to seeing you back in the Keys because uh, that trip is always epic. Um, but, you know, you're doing so much for our profession, and it's just an honor to be able to have this opportunity to speak with you on Polititalk Rx. So thank you so much, and thank you for coming on the show today. And I guess I should go back to my disclaimer because, you know, I say lots of stuff, but but I do only speak officially for myself. You know, again, Absolutely. I think I... I think I echo a lot of uh, what other health systems and, and people are saying, but the words that were spoken here are Scott Knorr's views on the world and not anybody else's. And that's where we hear them first, right here on Polititalk Rx. We get to hear this, the, 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 the discussions and the opinions and, and really freely talk, and that's what I love. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it, Scott. I hope you have a great day, and uh, I look forward to working with you in the near future. Thank you, my friend. All right. Have, have a great, great day. day. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Polititalk Rx, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you're in the profession of pharmacy or if you're in the healthcare industry, you can't afford to sit idle and not be informed about your profession. We ask you to share these podcasts with your fellow pharmacy associates, your state and local government officials, and get involved in politics in some capacity, starting with being informed. We must take action, but only when we're educated and understand the issues and policies which lead us to a better tomorrow for our profession. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PolitiTalkRx and send us an email at PolitiTalkRx at gmail.com. 